listening to the Screeners Podcast Network. From the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, this is the Screeners Podcast, where all media is appreciated, but none is safe. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Screeners Podcast. I'm Daniel, and I'm very excited today because we have a very special guest with us. Paul Walter Hauser plays Sean Eckhart in the movie I, Tanya, which tells the story of Tanya Harding, competitive figure skater, and one of the most enigmatic figures of the 90s. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh my goodness, thank you for having me on the Screeners Podcast. <laughs> uh, so, I, Tanya is such a great movie, and obviously getting a lot of awards attention, and I think it's safe to say that uh, a lot of people are singling you out for, uh, for a scene-stealing performance. Uh, how does it kind of feel to have, uh, have a lot of that praise coming your way? I mean, it's cool, man. Uh, as an actor, I think I can speak for a lot of actors, uh, you know, everywhere, both coasts, when you're trying to do it professionally, you just hope you get a speaking part. And then once you start getting speaking parts, you hope you uh, get a good character because you want to learn and you want to sink your teeth into something and you want to prove yourself. But after you kind of sink your teeth in and get a good character, too, then it's like, oh, I hope I get to do the good work. You hope the really great script comes along. You hope the really great actor wants to work opposite you. And uh, and this is one of those moments that you're never guaranteed, and uh, and to have this moment meant the world to me. It's been such a joy, man. Yeah, that's awesome, and it's safe to say you had all of those things. You had an incredible cast, incredible script, and so what were some of your first interactions with the project? Uh, first getting the script, audition process. Kind of walk me through how you landed the role. Yeah, I was uh, I was shooting uh, or filming a pilot in Vancouver called The Midsummer's Nightmare. It was for uh, A&E Studios and Lifetime. And uh, the show was pretty good. Really, excuse me, really I was just having fun with my cast members. I met all these amazing people like Dominic Monaghan and uh, Jake Robinson and Chelsea Gilligan, all these really great actors. And we were kind of settling in thinking this is going to be our life. The show will get picked up and we'll do five, six seasons of it and we'll all be best friends. And, uh, I was getting used to that idea, and as we were wrapping the show, I got an audition for this film, and it said, it's a director's session. You're going to audition in front of Craig Gillespie. The script was on the blacklist, which for those that don't know, the blacklist is a prestigious uh, list of screenplays that people love in Hollywood each year. And then uh, Alice and Janney and Margot Robbie were attached. So, you know, right out the gate, without even reading the screenplay, it felt like a very important at least culturally important project uh that i would want to be a part of and then of course i read the script and went over the moon and uh knew that i could do a lot with this character i could both make him uh sympathetic to a certain degree and also try to be really funny and add some levity to uh, a movie that has plenty of dark stuff yeah yeah well you certainly did that um and what was it like uh, Craig Gillespie is a great director, and then, like you said, Margot Robbie, she starred in the film and produced it. Sebastian Stan, and I mean, Allison freaking Janney. Yeah. Uh, what was it like working with this uh, with this amazing cast and crew? Well, you know, I was a big fan of Lars and the Real Girl. Uh, I tend to gravitate toward quirky, funny indie films that have a lot of heart and have a lot of 
great performances, something like all the real girls that David Gordon Green uh, made early in his career, uh, something like Little Miss Sunshine. Those are just kind of my wheelhouse in movies. Yeah. And uh, knowing Craig had already pulled that off and then thinking he could try to do it with this period piece um, about the most disgraced like, athlete <laughs> in the history of sports. Right. Like, it was so interesting, and I, be- I kind of believed in it right out the gate. Like, this is a great movie. It hadn't even been made, and I was like, this is totally my type of movie. Right. Uh, as far as the acting goes, the- Margot's such a newly minted superstar, kind of like, you know, the Jennifer Lawrence before her. She's having this great moment, and I thought, you know, what an honor to, to get to play opposite her amidst this moment. And, uh, of which will continue, but, you know, I just mean moment as in certain actors have that breakout that then, you know, kind of steamrolls. And this felt like the performance that would help her go from maybe just the 15 minutes of fame superstar to like, solidified Hollywood great and and I think that's exactly what it's done um as far as Sebastian Stan uh he's such a pretty intimidating looking guy I saw <laughs> seen pictures of him but I hadn't met him you know right. I hadn't met him so in my head I'm like I'm like the Zach Galifianakis Andy Richter type and am I gonna gel with this Brad Pitt Tom Cruise type <laughs> right I'm gonna find out he's such a sweet humble funny weird guy he totally he and i fit in pretty effortlessly um and that was a joy because i'm for one thing i'm one of these actors one of these actors one of these people who i want everyone to like me it's some pathetic you know thing that's ingrained in my brain (laughs) but also you want you want to get along with your co-stars and and every project i've ever done tv or film i always walk away with kind of one new friend uh, somebody you actually hang out with and keep in touch with. And I was so pleased that he was that guy. And as far as Allison goes, I mean, the work speaks for itself. She already has two decades of brilliant uh, work, stage, screen, and TV. Uh, but I just didn't know she was capable of playing someone so odious because I'm used to loving her. Right. I'm used to you know laugh, laughing with her, laughing at her. And uh, this movie shows you somebody you've seen before, somebody who's so embittered by life and circumstance that they take it out on those who are nearest and dearest. And, uh, and I think for her, it was a welcomed aside from all that she's done in the past. And, uh, and then for us, the audience, it's a treat to kind of see her in a new light and, and know that she's capable because if she can do this, what the hell else can she do? You know, I'd love to see her, I'd love to see her go do an Aronofsky film, do what uh, Ellen Burstyn did, you know, in, in Requiem or something. Bring it on. I think she's yeah. one of the greatest living actresses, and this movie really highlights her. Absolutely. Yeah, no argument from me. And and everyone sort of has at least some some knowledge of the Tanya Harding story and the incident, as the movie calls it. Uh, so go- going into the project, what what did you know about Sean Eckhart and his role in the whole thing? Oh, man, I knew very little. Uh, how much did you know? Uh, very... you're, you're younger than me, right? I am, how yeah. I was uh, I was oh, very young. Long. I was only like uh, like two or three when this, when this whole incident happened. So uh... Yeah, so you're like goo-goo, gaga, <laughs> team, team, team Tanya. Um, <laughs> right. 
I uh, I knew very little too. I think I have vivid snapshots of the local news doing their stories and uh, and because uh, I grew up in Saginaw, Michigan, which is two hours away from Detroit, where the incident happened. Yeah. So I'm sure I have these little snapshots of Oprah and Ricky Lake and Sally Jesse Raphael and Maury Povich because it was you know kind of talk show candy for a long time. Yeah. But um, but I I didn't know what the hell went on. I was like. If for all I knew, Tanya Harding, you know, just as the movie portrays, Tanya Harding could have whacked her. Right. But, uh, of course, that wasn't the case. Right. Uh, and so did you, uh, what was your process of kind of, I mean, playing a real person? First of all, what is that like? And then second of all, what was your process of kind of doing research or, or looking in? Who did you talk to? Those sort of things. Yeah. Um, I think... I'm saying um so much. Sorry, I just woke up. I, I, I couldn't sleep last night, so I just I used the bathroom. I got up, realized I had to call you, made a K-cup of peppermint bark coffee from the holidays, and now I'm shirtless <laughs> sitting in, in my living room talking to you. Hey, um, I'm honored. You know, I, hey, I think I'm pretty sharp for being disoriented. This is pretty sharp. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. Okay, good. Good. Uh <laughs> Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> oh, playing a real person. Yes. Playing a real person. I love the idea of playing a real person because as a wannabe, you know, I say a wannabe, I always feel like a wannabe. I never feel like a real actor, even though I've been doing it for, I don't know, eight years off and on here. But, um, I, you know, when you hear biopic or, you know, real, real story, true story, the idea of playing a real person is kind of what actors hope to do. It's a challenge and it's right. a responsibility and it's something we all i think want to do so to play a real person is always exciting and challenging but also what was good for me was i wasn't playing the person in the spotlight i couldn't be judged nearly as much as someone like margo or sebastian i was uh you know this character this guy wasn't seen by that many people except for his diane sawyer interview which is now becoming kind of iconic and having a life of its own but uh but it for me it was it was going in to see craig gillespie in the audition and knowing my take on the character and my take on the guy and my assumption about him is he was fully invested in his lifestyle choices so if he said he went to qatar and had a girlfriend overseas and uh, bought pipe tobacco from a Russian mobster, like you're gonna, I'm gonna choose to believe that because if the people, because no one's gonna buy it unless I buy it, the actor, me, Paul. Right. So I, I would look in the mirror and do the, do the scenes and, and practice. And I would look for little physical tells that would say like, this guy's lying, but he knows it because he's nervous a little bit, but you don't know it because he's just weird. So what he what he might be doing that would be looked at as uh, some poker bluff tell, um, you won't know because he's just awkward. Right. So I was I was really working on finding the tone of believability and kind of having some physical things. Like I don't know if you saw it in the film. You probably didn't watch it under a microscope. But every time I'm talking to Sebastian, I'm trying to be serious. I kind of put my hands in a karate chop and I'm like. <laughs> trying to point out things like when I say I'm four steps ahead of everyone, it's like the hand is like that. It's like I, I sort of turn into, he tries to turn on an adult. He's yeah. a child. 
what do children do? They, they impersonate adults. They aren't adults. They try to act as if they were. So there are those moments where Sean kind of turns on his adult and tries to kind of keep it together. But, uh, but then you see cracks in the facade, like where he's about to cry when Tanya totally outs him at the ice rink and says, you're a fat gas bag, nobody virgin who gets laughed at and drives a crappy car and loses his parents, you know? Yeah. That was, that's one of the few moments where you see Sean is who really is. But then in that moment, it's like, gulp, you better, you better put big boy pants on again because you're not what she says. Right. You don't believe that. You're a counterterrorism expert, and you got to you know, you're reminding yourself of that all day long. And that complexity really, uh, really comes across because it's, it's. I mean, it, it sounds so silly because the character kind of is inherently silly. But right. exactly what you said, like you can, t- you can see all of those layers in your performance where he's just ridiculous, but you believe it. And so it's uh it's wonderful. And and what sold it for me is I um because I didn't know who Sean Eckert was. Uh, I love that yeah. there was the actual clip, the the interviews at the end. Yeah, how fun is that? And because it made me, you know, the whole time I was watching, I was like, this character is so unbelievable. And then you watched that clip and you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how he was. Uh, so I love that. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. It's uh, the truth is often stranger than fiction. Right. And uh, I think you get, you really understand that toward the end of the film when you get to take a peek at the real people. And I'll say this real too, real quick. Uh, one of my favorite living actors, who I think he's the closest thing we might have to Robin Williams today, is uh, Steve Carell. Yeah. Because Steve Carell really understands how to do comedy and drama, and I think the best part about it is I think he understands how similar they are. A lot of it really is about desire, commitment, insecurities, and nuances. And you're really just building a character in comedy or drama. I think one of the best comedy performances of all time is probably Randy Quaid in the National Amplification movies with yeah. Chevy Chase. Yeah. And it's because you buy that guy. You buy that poor, unaware, uh, painfully creepy and awkward guy because he exists. Right. But that role isn't nearly as funny or effective if Randy Quaid isn't making a bunch of choices along the way. Uh, that the guy has a runny nose or that he's got a shifty eye or that, he, you know, whatever he's doing, it's all intentional. So with, with Sean, I want it to be funny because I love being funny. I, I love trying to be funny. But uh, but it's all very intentional, or at least I hope, <laughs> as yeah. far as trying to make choices to be distinct and different. And I think you definitely succeeded there. So uh, Sean is no longer alive. So obviously you weren't able to meet the real person. Were were you able to meet anybody, any of the other real characters from the movie? No, I I actually did meet Sean. Oh, you did? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, I was very confused for a second. I I was going to roll with it. I wanted wanted to elicit confusion. Um, (laughs) I thought it was funny. Uh, I I think... I think Margot and Sebastian probably had it worse than me by meeting them. Sure. Uh, it's, you know, some would, some would say it was better, you know, they had it better because they had more to work with. But um, as an actor, you also don't want to be given too much. You know, it's almost like direction from a director. You don't want to be bogged down by line readings and too many choices of their sort of mental construct. You, right. You'd prefer 
play on the playground yourself and find and find the performance as you go, which is what most actors do. Um, not that Margot and Sebastian didn't do that. I'm sure they did. I just mean, I think they were given quite a bit and then had to sift through and figure out what to focus on. For me, it was, I contacted the guy who turned him into the FBI, this guy by the name of Eugene Saunders, who's now a theological professor at a Bible college in Portland, Oregon. Huh. Uh, I just heard his name on a couple different broadcasts of people saying, you know, this is a guy who turned him in. So I Googled Eugene Saunders, you know, Oregon, Portland, Oregon, found him, left a message on his machine saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Would you help me out? And uh, he called me back and kind of gave me his uh, story and told me that, uh, you know, this is who I knew Sean to be while I was at college taking a class with him. And I, I kind of took some of that food for thought and then churned it out into the performance. Wow, that's interesting. And so uh, as far as everybody else, you know, t speaking of the real people from the stories, you know, Alice and Janney just won Best Supporting Actress at the Globes last week. Uh, rightfully so. Very yeah. deserved. <laughs> Congrats to Allison. No and slouch. <laughs> and uh, there was actually a little bit of controversy online. Uh, you know, Tanya was at the awards um, and, and Allison thanked her. Um, and so, you know, some people, it didn't sit right with some people thanking her and, and, and showing her completely as a victim. I, I just was curious of your take on that whole situation. Is she somebody that needs to be reevaluated in, in pop culture and in history? I'm, I'm, I guess I'm confused at the controversy. What's the controversy? People think that Allison shouldn't have Tanya? I think the gist of, of the controversy is 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 that uh, she is is portraying Tanya kind of fully as a victim, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, I think the reason we t the reason Stephen told the film from multiple points of view is because the jury will always be out. We'll never have conclusive evidence sure. of exactly what happened. That's just not going to happen. So this film, if anything, uh, it gives a point of view of someone who, whether they did something bad or not, they were a victim of abuse. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's sort of the point of a, an adaptation of a documentary, which is almost what it is. It's almost, it's almost an adaptation of the 30 for 30 book. Right. A more intimate take. And uh, and you just you can't pull any punches. You got to just tell the real story. I think I think we're in a point in our culture right now where people are sort of they're sort of just everybody's so upset that they people tend to shout not because what they're shouting about is worthy of a shout, but because they need to shout. Sure, sure. So I think with this film. I think with this film, uh, you know, because I've heard people online, too, who are like, there's so many needle drops. There's, there's like 80 songs in the movie. And it's like, why is that a bad thing? Like, what, yeah. like what, why, why are you guys worked up over a soundtrack, you weirdos? Uh, so I think I think you'll never please everybody. Uh, is Tanya Harding a victim? Of, of course she's a victim of abuse. Yeah. Was she involved in the attack? Maybe if only, maybe if only by a sin of omission, where she knew something was going on but didn't investigate or say anything. So, uh, do I think she's a hundred percent innocent? Absolutely not. I don't believe that for a second. Right. Uh, but do I think uh, her story is worthy of being told, and that 
it should echo with uh, people kind of telling telltale signs of abuse that it's worth uh, investigating, making sure children or even teenagers in that case are are being taken care of or taken out of those situations. Uh, yeah, because I think Tanya Harding, had, there were a lot of people around her. I mean, she was always skating. She was always out and about. She had all these fans. Um, she openly spoke about her mother beating her in a in a short documentary uh, back when she was a teenager. Hmm. So people, you know, people can say that, oh, they didn't know this was going on. But I think people did know, and she was never really rescued from uh, from her broken home. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 obviously very complex, and uh, I think the movie does a does a great job of kind of showing the complexity of uh, of her life and her upbringing. By the way, uh, the fact that there's a controversy about any of this, it just goes to show how important movies are to our culture. Yeah, uh, people are so dissatisfied with their marriages, so dissatisfied with uh, their churches, their politics. Like so many things have failed them. The film, in a weird way, becomes a lot more personal because it's telling stories that we want to believe in or that we want to rely on. Uh, you know, so people yeah. get very invested, and I understand that, and uh, it's a true story, so it comes with a, a certain amount of attachments. But at the end of the day, it's just the point of view of a film. So yeah. hopefully people don't bury the film on that alone. Hopefully they, they see it and judge for themselves a little bit. I absolutely agree. I, Tanya, is definitely a film you need to see. Uh, and, Paul, you have uh, a few other great projects coming up. You're in Super Troopers 2, which comes out in a couple months. Uh, and you're also in a, a project that sounds extremely interesting. You're in The Black Klansman. Uh, Spike Lee is directing that. John David Washington, Adam Driver, Topher Grace. It, it sounds like an extremely interesting film. Is there anything you can tell us about that project? Yes, yeah, Super Troopers, I did before I, Tanya. It's it's not a huge role, but it's like a, a fun little pivotal joke moment in the film. I have one or two scenes. And then, uh, and uh, yeah, for the record, Super Troopers is one of my five favorite comedies of all time. So nice. that was just beyond a uh, dream come true to work with the Broken Lizard guys and to have a small place uh, on that, you know, piece of comedy history. Yeah. Um, but I would say... Black Clansman came to me right after the Toronto Film Festival. I had just gotten done celebrating Itania for a three, four-day weekend of just, you know, wonderful food and great meetings with wonderful people and everybody giving our film critical praise and getting to watch the movie for the first time. I was on this crazy high from the weekend, and I came back, and a day later I had a director session in front of Spike Lee for Black Clansman. So... I really think that the confidence that we had from Tiff carried over, and I walked in really confident in front of Spike, who's a very intimidating man right. for being probably five foot five, <laughs> uh, and uh, and he's just so brilliant and he's so cool and he's so interesting. And when he makes a film, it always makes noise. Yeah. Now it's not always great noise, uh, but he's still the dude who made. Malcolm X and do the right thing and 25th hour and inside man. And I mean, he's, yeah. he's really one of these directors. I think, uh, unless you're crazy, every actor wants to get the chance to work with him. So I, it was a joy working with him. Uh, we got along really well. All my scenes are kind of with Adam driver and Nick Tatsuro and these two, uh, wonderful guys I met on the film, uh, Jasper Pakkanen and, uh, Ryan Eggold. And uh, I think it's. I think this movie is going to be sort of like a new version 
a, a new age version of Mississippi Burning, the mm. Alan Parker film. So yeah. I, I hope you'll see it. And, um, and hopefully the power behind Spike Lee and Adam Driver will make this a really uh, loud film that a lot of people see. Awesome. Well, that sounds awesome. Um, I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to see more from you. Thanks. Uh, like I said, I, Tanya is fantastic. And it's in theaters now, theaters everywhere. So make sure you go out and see it as soon as you can so you can see Paul's fantastic performance as well as everybody else's performance because it's a great movie. Paul, it was such a, a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Daniel, it was my pleasure. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for having me. And um, for for those who are thinking of seeing the movie but are but – are, Splitting their time between the commuter with Liam Neeson and uh, maybe a, a belated showing of Coco or Ferdinand. Let me tell you, I, Tanya is on like every other movie in theaters. You better go see it before it leaves. I can't agree more. Awesome. Paul, thanks so much. All right, guys. Much love. Thank you. And thanks so much for listening. As always, you can follow us on social media. On Facebook, search The Screeners Podcast. And on Twitter, at ScreenersCast. You can also follow Paul at Paul W. Hauser on Twitter. Make sure you go see I, Tanya in theaters now. We'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. You've heard what the screeners had to say. Now you be the critic. Head over to ScreenersPodcast.com and let us know what you think. See you next time.